Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message also marks a special Sunday for us here at Grace, because today we will be having a special dedication service for parents of any newborn children. We therefore are going to focus on how dedication is that crucial step in parenting to recognize God's plan and therefore our role as parents. Thanks for listening. Well, happy Father's Day to everybody. I remember working out in the woods with my dad. He would be driving the tractor, and my job as the young uh, hired hand was to uh, hook the logs up as we drag them out of the woods. And uh, I can remember every now and then if you hooked up a particularly heavy, uh, wide-diameter oak that sometimes that tractor had to hum and haw to pull that thing uh, out, of the, out of the woods. And if you got on uneven ground, every now and then he'd, he'd be turning the wheels uh, but the tractor wouldn't turn. Uh, the, the wheels wouldn't have the kind of grip that they needed. And anybody who has ever driven uh, with two-wheel drive, even on a lawnmower on uneven ground, you might uh, remember a time, even in your own vehicles, if you don't have four-wheel drive, that those front tires don't quite have traction. And one of the things that uh, I've noticed in my own life, if you're doing that in steering, one of the ways that you can regain traction is by letting go with a wheel. That, that there, there is a, there's, a, there's a kind of rut in the direction that as soon as those tires turn a little bit back center, they catch again. I, I, I see that as kind of a picture for our own life, specific today in how we are as parents and grandparents relating to our relationship, our understanding of the kids that God has given us. Now, no doubt you and I could regale story after story of how disappointed we are in our kids, right? Is that true? I'd be a little facetious here, but um, if you're honest, you'll have plenty of moments. In fact, good parenting is a continual uh, course correction of their behavior, trying to have them come in line both with your values and hopefully those values are matching God's values. But there is a deeper truth that we have to embrace if we are going to be successful at raising our children to carry our faith with us. And that deeper truth is to recognize very simply They don't first belong to you. They first belong to who? Do you know? They first belong to God. God has given you and I and all those who have had kids, has given you the treasure, the great wonderful privilege of being able to have this this young one, to to raise in a world, a world full of corruption, but a world where God knows I have given this young one a mother and a father to help them, to provide direction for them, and to lead them in the way that they should go. We do that best when we remember that they are only on loan to us, that they truly belong first and foremost to God. There's a word for this. It's called dedication. And we're going to find as we look to a passage of scripture that isn't a uniquely parenting passage, but it is a passage that is going to hold for us some very important principles that are going to uh, relate into how you and I practice this necessary action of dedication. And sometimes that's going to mean that you, like the tractor wheel, have to let it go a little bit and and have to realize that even if you're wanting to go one way, even if your plan is to do this, God's plan might be a little bit different. And 
And there's a, there's a sensitivity involved in this and an, uh, a need to be a keen observer of what's going on that we might get it right. So with that introduction, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to uh, open them up to Exodus in chapter 2. Again, we're going to look at a passage that is not routinely seen as a parenting passage, but one that has contained within it uh, some very important principles uh, six of them that I'm going to highlight here for us this morning, and then we're going to follow with some very real application. So I want to see if I can have everybody hold on all the way to the end. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Uh, just before we start here in chapter 2, I know the majority of us are quite familiar with the book of Exodus, but in point of uh, just con- contextual review, Uh, The Hebrew children at this point are being enslaved by a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And so as their numbers continue to increase, uh, the leadership of the government decides that this uh, racial um, group that they don't like needs to be lessened. And so the command is given from the king, from the pharaoh, uh, that all the male children are to be murdered are to be killed and so not only do you have enslavement going on of an entire people group you have this incredible travesty of the loss of the most innocent among them and it's within this context that we find ourselves this morning so exodus chapter 2 1 through 4 now a man of the house of levi married a levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now we've, you know, maybe you've seen the movies, Prince of Egypt or whatever it might be. I mean, we're, we're all really familiar with this story leading to the Exodus narrative, but I don't think we give it quite the attention it's due. And do you know why that is? It's because you weren't there. Uh, we know from later chapters that Moses' mom's name is Jochebed. And can you imagine, ladies, if this were you? Can you imagine giving birth in this type of a culture, in this type of oppressive environment where (laughs) this one that you've carried for so many months is now going to be torn away from you and killed? And so that motherly instinct, and how about dads on Father's Day, right? This idea that your child would be killed by the government? We, we, we miss what is so palpable for this moment because we weren't there. And so I want to implore us, imagine this were you. Imagine you were there. To have your child taken from you is for these parents, Ammon and Jochebed, it is for them going to produce actions by which we can learn what it means to dedicate our children to God. The first, uh, the, the first lesson here, uh, I'm entitling consideration. So the text starts out by uh, identifying the nationality of the husband and the wife. Does any, did you see that? What tribe were they from? 
tribe of Levi. Now, we know that the Levites will become those who serve permanently within the house of God. Before this time, they were kind of a warring tribe, but after this time, they are those who are set apart from God. And it would have been within the dozen of folks that you could have married a unique thing to find two from the same tribe. And so there's this attention that is given to say, we need to, God may be doing something because he's brought one from here and one from here to make a child who ultimately will be set apart to serve God. By consideration, I mean that you are watching your children to see in them what God sees in them. The text says in verse 2 that for Jochebed, when she saw, he was a fine child. Your translation may be a little bit different than the NIV here. Um, It could be translated a good, uh, has to do with a, a fairness. It has to do with when you look at this child, there's something that you see in them that just makes your heart swell. Now, I kind of would imagine this would be true for all parents. Any amens there, folks, right? That nobody thinks that their child is more beautiful than mom and dad and the pastor. So if I come visit you in the hospital, don't worry. I think your child's beautiful as well. I was, I was looking at Mindy when I said that. So. <laughs> she, she saw that he was a fine child, and that is distinctly because she was paying consideration to look and see what God would see. Around Easter time, um, we bought uh, my daughter Sadie some little uh, ceramic crafts, a little bunny and some eggs that she could decorate. And we thought that she might give those away as presents or gifts. Um, Well, lo and behold, she painted one and gave it to me. And I thought, well, we thought you'd give this to somebody else, but she gave it to me. And I remember saying, oh, thank you. And I kind of set it somewhere or in a drawer. And the next time she came to my desk, she said, Daddy, where's the bunny? I said, I had no idea what she was talking about. What bunny? Oh, this one. This is the little one that she meant. And here was the problem. She saw something in this that I didn't. And so I undervalued it. I undervalued it because I didn't see in it what the maker of it saw. That's the same aspect that I'm calling consideration here that you and I must do to our kids. We must look, look at them, not with whatever burden or stress that they may impose upon us, but instead look to them and see what does God see in them? Because that's exactly what Jochebed saw in Moses. And it was because she had that kind of consideration that she acted. Secondly, to dedicate your child to God means that you carry a measure of commitment. So the second word is commitment. The commitment here is that you would raise this child according to God's design. Now, in this day, in Egypt, at this time, if you had a a male child, what did the government say to do with them? Kill them. Drown them in the Nile. uh, Put them uh, to death. That is what the government said. Now, thankfully, she didn't listen to the government. Thankfully, she listened to the higher government, which was God's rule. And so commitment here means being willing to follow through with raising your child according to God's design, no matter what the culture around you says. Is that preachy enough for you? Did everybody get what I'm saying with this? What does your culture tell you to do with your kids? Kids are seen, really, in our culture, either of being those that that need to be spoiled and doted on hand and foot, or kind of this accessory that gets in the way of your success. 
our, our culture today has really removed the responsibility of parenting from the parents. Now, I, I believe that there needs to be wisdom as to how you go about educating your, your children, uh, as far as that being a private school, a public school, or a home school. But ne- none of those, n- none of those three options would remove the responsibility of parenting from your role. God has a design within the home. And so you see Jochebed here in verse 2. What does she do when she, when she has the consideration to see what God sees? She has a commitment to say, I'm going to hide the baby. She doesn't turn the baby over. She says, I'm going to hide it. Now, who do you think is going to run the risk at this point? She is. She is going to be the one who is going to be going that extra measure of sacrificing because she has this commitment to God's design. Uh, the illustration I can think of this would be just marriage. I, I think marriage is a, is a really healthy example for this because on the wedding day, you know, the husband or the bride and the groom, you know, they, they stand and they're so in love. Oh, they're so in love. And then what happens six months later? Yeah, the, the thing that keeps you going is not a feeling, right? That, that little bitty baby day one, right? I mean, when we had, um, when we had Micah um, 12 years ago now, um, I remember holding him, just feeling feelings I had never felt before. Here, here is this little one who's depending on me. He needs me for everything. And then after five hours of crying, I was like, someone else take him. Anyone take him. So you, you have to make sure that as you are looking at whatever commitment that is, whether that's found in marriage or with your children, you're not basing your actions off of a feeling, but off of a commitment. And the commitment here, if you dedicate your child to God, the dedication follows with a commitment to say, I will raise them according to God's design, no matter what the culture around me says. Amen? Right? We're on the same page with that. Good. <clears throat> because as I have given you maybe a few options for education... I only have one option for you when it comes to church. The, the Bible is extraordinarily clear that fathers are to train their children and equip their children. That this is do, done within conjunction with a husband and a wife together teaching them. Hear me. It is not my job. I didn't hear any amens off. It's not my job. Amen. That's right. It is mom and dad's job. It is, it is my job and the elders of the church to make sure that we are providing every expectation and resource to make that happen. If you feel ill-equipped for that, that's my job. My job is to equip you so that you are able to do this task with God's design the way he designed it to be. And that requires, come on, shout it out. What's the second one? Commitment. Requires commitment. Number three, <clears throat> to dedicate your child to God takes some confidence. In verse 3, things get worse. But when she could hide him no longer. Uh, Any mother here ought to feel just a pit in her gut reading those words. For months now, she's tried. She's exhausted every opportunity she can hear and every time the sound of the the magistrates or the soldiers come close those footsteps make her heart beat so fast she thinks this is the day they're going to take him and after three months of this she can't hide him anymore 
To dedicate your child means you have a confidence in giving them the very best circumstances for their life. You're going to give them everything you possibly can to make them successful. And so look in verse 3. She sa- it says she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Um, a papyrus basket. This, this is a unique word in the Hebrew language that actually is a corollary to a story that comes in the book of Genesis. Um, it has to do with Noah. What did Noah build? He built something else that floats as well. And, and this word that's used is caused to make that reader, if you're reading this in the original, you immediately would be reminded of the story of Noah. How again, there was one who made out of a reed or papyrus. Uh, it was uh, the, the crafting of the ark is very similar to now the crafting of this vessel that Moses is going to be placed in. Uh, notice she also gets uh, pitch and tar. Uh, one reason why they uh, started digging and finding oil out in the Middle East is because pitch and tar come from uh, kind of crude oil. So here in Egypt, she had access to these resources because as many of you know, if you put this on the outside of anything that floats, it won't sink. Jochebed was doing everything she could to give Moses the best opportunity for success. And that takes a kind of confidence in how God is going to take the little you have to give, as much as you have to give, offer it to make your child successful, and then to trust God to take it the rest of the way. When I say confidence, I don't mean that you baby your children. You guys know what I mean by that? That you continue to coddle them and that they're forever these little helpless teenagers now that don't know how to stand on their own. Um, In fact, one of the very best ways that you can view confidence in them is by allowing them to struggle a little bit. There was a movie that came out uh, by Pixar, boy, a while ago called Finding Nemo. Does anyone remember Finding Nemo? There's, uh, if... I won't act the whole thing out here, but it's about a fish. And uh, the, the, the fish has, um, uh, the husband ha- has his, his fish wife die. And uh, they have one little uh, child fish that survives Nemo. And uh, the father here is extremely overprotective, right? Well, they go on this long journey because he, uh, the father loses his son. Um, you guys have seen Finding Nemo, right? Um, uh, but there's one point in it where, where the father gets swept up with these sea turtles. You remember that, that part of the movie? And uh, the sea turtles have all these little baby sea turtles. And they're in the East Indian current. And the current is just moving so much faster than the father's prepared for. And at one point, one of the little turtles named Squirt, he, he falls out of the current. And the fish father begins to panic. We got we to gotta go save him. But the, the uh, turtle father says, hold, hold your jets, man. Just slow down a little bit. Uh, let us see what Squirt does flying solo, uh, if you remember that part. There is, a, there is a ton of wisdom in that. One of the things that you will do to ruin your children is always trying to protect them from things and not letting them ever try to fly solo on their own. But any parent who has let their kids go knows how hard that can be. That's one of the most difficult things in the world to do. You can have a confidence 
Because you have, like Jochebed, you have done everything for them up until that point. You, 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 you made the basket to protect them. You put tar and pitch on it to, to help them along the way. But then you can have confidence to let them go. And you need to. Because to dedicate your child to God means you entrust your child to God's care. And that you don't carry that pressure over your shoulders forever into their teen years. And then they're 20. And then they're moving home and living with you when they're 30. And then... I hope I'm not offending anybody here, but you get the point, right? When it comes to dedicating your child, you want to build confidence by helping them be as successful as they can and then allowing them to fly solo. Now, that's what we see here in this passage, and it is incredibly difficult. It moves us to the next point here. Number four is courage. Because Jacobed placed the child in the vessel and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Who thinks that took courage? Now, this is not a courage derived from yourself. This is a courage that would best be defined as faith. She has faith in God. She she has a kind of consideration looking at the child to see what God sees. She has the commitment to say she's going to do the best she can to raise it. She has a confidence that she's done all that she can do. And so now, with courage, she surrenders the child to God. To do this means that you have to recognize that God has a plan for your child. Do you know that that's true? God has a plan for your child. Well, what if that's not my plan? My, my plan is that they, they live right next door and I get to see my grandkids all the time and life's just wonderful. What if that's not God's plan? What if God's plan for them means that they're carried away far from you? I I want you to know that day is going to be so much more difficult for you if you have not first dedicated them to God, to really release them to God's care because they belong to God before they belong to you. And so it takes courage to do this. My my wife had an essential oil diffuser. You guys, many of you know what those are, right? Make things smell much nicer. Well, I, I had it down in my office for a long time, and I kind of began liking it. It actually was supposed to go in the car. I bought it for her for her car, but uh, I was kind of enjoying it until she came and took it. <laughs> and that's because who did it belong to? Not me. It belonged to her. And she had a plan for it. She, she had a purpose for it. And if I, if I were to uh, hold on to it as though it were mine, I'm going to be so much more distraught losing that wonderful diffuser because she belongs to her and she had a plan and purpose for it. The same is true for your kids. God has a plan. And so to be able to hand your children, to dedicate your children is going to take courage. Number five is care. So you'll see in verse four, <clears throat> The care that shown, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Godly parents follow their children's progress with loving observation and care. Now, dedication doesn't mean abandonment. I want to make sure we understand that, all right? Dedication, just because you're like, you're God's problem now, man. I'm done with you. 18 years, I'm through. That... uh, That is not the right response here because a a godly parent will continue to watch. But you're not going to watch hovering over them to make sure they're fine. You're going to do like we see in the text. 
You're going to stand at a distance to watch what God is going to do. Do everybody see the, the balance that's found in this? It's not abandonment that you're like, that's God's problem, I ain't worried about it. And it's also not, honey, did you get eight hours of sleep last night? And right, you're, you're letting them live their lives, but you are at the same time continuing to provide care and watching over them for their good. Um, best example I can think of this is if you were taking care of somebody else's pet. Right? Just because uh, if you're asked to pet sit for somebody, just because it doesn't belong to you doesn't mean you abandon it. You're going to take care of it as though the one who it does belong to is going to return and want it having four legs and breathing, right? God has entrusted your kids to your care or to your kids' kids if you have grandkids. And God is expecting you to be watching and ever vigilantly making sure that when needed, you could step in, which is exactly what we see in the story. And I haven't <clears throat> taken the time to read the rest of it, but you, you, you could read it on your own. Here we have Pharaoh's daughter comes down and she discovers it. She takes the child and there the sister, Miriam, she goes and says, hey, I know, I know of a Hebrew mother that can nurse this child for you. And sure enough, the mother is now under the protection of the state of the government to raise her son, even though the son will now go to live in Pharaoh's palace. But all of that comes because that attention of care was being offered. All right, one last observation here. Seed, spelled C-E-D-E. Not, not seed that you put in the ground, but to seed something means to surrender something. It means to give it up. And I think this is the hardest one of all. You will lose your children. You will lose your children. Now, hopefully that loss is the very best kind of loss, meaning in marriage or in college or, or moving to, in, in, uh, I know we have military families here, but, but one way or another, they don't stay small and they don't stay with you forever. You will lose them. And that moment is going to be so difficult with all kinds of dysfunction if you have not first seeded them or volitionally, willingly given them over to God. And the word that we have for that is called dedication. To dedicate them to God means to recognize they truly belong to God. And this entire story, what we see in God's provision of providing a leader for the Hebrew people came specifically because Ammon and Jochebed had that sense of dedication, that this child, who was very fine in their eyes, was really not their child, but belonged to God. Now, I want to offer you just three final um, observations here uh, for how we conclude and can think of trusting in God. The question I pose is this, why can you trust God? And the first thing I want to tell you is, God will control what you cannot and that, that tractor was not turning. I mean, I, I had the wheel turned. I mean, they were pitched like this angle, but the vehicle was still going the wrong way. I couldn't control it. God will control the things that you cannot control. In fact, that concept of control itself is a bit of an illusion. For God is always sovereignly in control. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, these words are spoken of God. He says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, and what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. Now, aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for God's word this morning that you have a God who is lovingly and sovereignly in control of all the things that you and I can't control? I know for me that's been very real in the past couple of weeks, even as we uh, heard last week from Proverbs. Do you remember what verse 5 says? Trust in the, with how much of your heart? With all your heart. And you can do this because God will control the thing you can't control. Number two, God has a plan that is for your ultimate good. Boy, isn't that great to hear? Have you ever had a day where you're just like, I got to call the pastor to pray for me? Have you ever had one of those days? Have you ever had that moment where it's just like, things just aren't going right? And as you're looking to your plan, it's not really looking like it's working out right. But listen, God has a plan. And guess what it's for? It's for your good. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church that's needing to live according to the Spirit, he says to them, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. I cannot emphasize to you enough what kind of good news that is for you today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what it is that you're facing. But if you turn on the TV or the internet, I'm sure you'll discover that the world's an incredible mess right now. Well, where's your role in it? Where's my role in this? Hear me now. God has a plan, and that plan is ultimately It's for your good. Now, that may take your uh, intention to help reform how you define good. Because it's very likely that you fall in subject and pray to defining good according to how the world's standards are for good. But God's plan for good is so much better and higher than the world. So, number one, God will control what you cannot. Number two, God has a plan that's for your ultimate good. And number three, God's timing is perfect. Why is that only true in retrospect? Does anyone know why we don't figure that out when we're in the moment? I'm certain that I could have everyone come up here and tell some type of testimony or story how years ago in your life, something was happening, but the timing wasn't right. But now as you reflect on it, now as you look back on it, you realize God had a reason for it all along. He had a plan and, and it couldn't have gone sooner and it couldn't have gone later. It had to happen just at the right time. Now, thankfully, we're still free in this country. I I felt like yesterday as I was watching the headline news for recent Supreme Court decisions, for the way in which so much of the news media is slanting things for a single type of narrative or changing that narrative even, uh, I started to think I may someday have to deliver messages where we're not free in this country. That may one day be what happens. That was exactly the case for Moses' parents. They were not free in their country. But God heard their cries and God knew 
And this is what the text is primarily about. Not primarily about parenting, but it's primarily about showing you and I a confidence in being able to trust God. Because right at the perfect time, God sent a leader who would come to free his people, Moses. God sent Moses. And if you know more of the story, Moses didn't really want the job, but God thankfully works for your good and for ours.